Welcome to Watch Party Wheel of Time. I'm your host, Ruark, joined once again by our panel. Say hello, panel. Hello. 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 Joining us today, we've got Greg, not David. Hello there. David, not Greg. Have you seen Ransom's Torpedo? Siobhan. Everybody. (laughs) I want to hear more about Ransom's Torpedo. (laughs) Uh, DW. Nom noms. And Samaria. Hey, everyone. And today we are covering episode uh, seven of season one in our Redux series. We are going through them for the second time to see what we can catch on our second pass through. Uh, This one, The Dark Along the Ways. Uh, We're going to start out with our cold open, which is the motherfucking blood snow. That's all (laughs) I can say. Still the most amazing fight scene I'd ever seen on the screen. Well, I finally watched it for real this time because I don't know if you guys know this, but I'm like deathly afraid of knives. So I've always watched this cold open like <laughs> through your fingertips. Like, like, <laughs> <laughs> but I forced myself to watch it and it was scary, but it was great. It was it was it's very it's of course it's very beautiful. Like oh, twenty five percent I've previously caught was just gorgeous. And and, and empowering. Yeah. That actress is makes you feel like you can just take on the world. Yeah, just the, I, I just love the pregnant woman just, you know, taking out six guys like it's nothing. Just So I watched um, Lady Hawk with my girlfriend um, last week because I'd never seen it before. And we were both making jokes about how all the attacks come one at a time. Like everybody takes their turn <laughs> to jump in. <laughs> Blood Snow is the opposite of that. <laughs> Right. Wait, 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 wait. Lady Hawk with like Rutger Hauer? Yes. <laughs> I've oh never my god, seen wow. Before. Oh yeah, that that's a, a Isn't Matthew classic with, yes, too. Yes. With, yeah. And a oh. very young Michelle Pfeiffer. <laughs> oh, that's right. It's a great cast. Yeah. So yeah, the Blood Snow, we open with Shail. She's running through a ruined camp of and we can sense a far larger battle happening around her. And we see upslope of her is Dragon Mount, which is up this close is very intimidating. That is that is a hell of a mountain peak right there. Yeah. Especially since it seems to be actively chucking out rocks while she's in this fight. Um, I don't think the rocks are coming from Dragon Mount because it seems to me like the rocks are actually flying upslope. Yeah, which, so it's like a trebuchet. Yeah, yeah, I think it's a catapult or trebuchet, and we could see some of those that uh, you know broken down that she was running past. So mm-hmm. you know, the the indication is there that it was a trebuchet of some sort. So I'm kind of curious as to the backstory of how she ended up in a battle at nine months pregnant. Like I believe that Ayala women fight without question that's obvious i believe that pregnant ieo women <laughs> could probably fight but she was like to be in a war right up to the point of labor seems like a bit of a stretch that says to me the necessity of it yeah that's that's the somebody who wasn't given a choice and i would also say in war you don't necessarily get to choose when you're going to fight your battle yeah true you, you can you can make all the plans you want but doesn't mean that plan's going to actually... Maybe maybe they were cut off from her being able to get home or something. Yeah, I don't think that was her birth plan. There's a story back there, and I'm curious about it. 
Yeah. 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 Battles are chaos and, and, you know, weird things happen. Yeah. And X-Ray, you know, it says that this is the final battle that ended the IO war. And well, now we know who won. So according to (laughs) X-Ray. Uh, we see Shail stop uh, because of uh, the labor pains and she attempts to give birth. Um, but a stupid savage wetlander shows up and tries to touch her with a filthy fucking sword. Um, <laughs> yeah. Uh, fucking rude, really. Uh, right. Yeah. So Shail shows him that she used to work for Cirque du Soleil. He, he just wanted to. He wanted to feel the baby kick with the sword. Oh, is that what? Yeah, the oh, dude. Yes, okay. But you ask permission. You don't just do it. Yeah. That's the root right. Of right. So then she uh, introduces him to her favorite spear. Mm-hmm. <laughs> meat pointy. Yeah. <laughs> pointy meat meat. Uh, <laughs> the ex living person pointy and her friends pointier and pointiest <laughs> so yeah in short order she she pulls some amazing ninja moves and kills six soldiers and i might point out six highly trained like navy seal level soldiers <laughs> but they broke the cardinal rule no capes no capes no capes no capes and never get a, involved in a land war against the IEL. No, <laughs> with the IEL. I don't know. Yeah. I'm not sure you want to be in a sea war against the IEL either. Or an yeah. air raid. Do, wait, is that invented yet in this universe? I feel like it's coming. It was invented, <laughs> and then they uninvented it. Uh, yeah, so she gets down to the last soldier and has a, a massive labor pain and, and kind of stumbles a little bit and he's able to get a to stab her in the side which is clearly a mortal wound she returns the favor yeah she does return the favor and crawls over to try to give birth to her child even though it seems like that it's kind of a pointless endeavor at this point and uh that's when tam shows up so the very first thing that tam does is point his sword at her given how that went for everybody else (laughs) this scene i'm actually surprised he managed to live long enough to then change his <laughs> mind and help her with the labor because most of the people that she encountered who did that to her did not get a chance to change their mind no well i don't think they were offering a midwife either so <laughs> I, well, he wasn't at this point either I, I think she was just done like she exhausted herself completely and no spears left to to fight with. Just okay, take me. I'm done. The IL version of spoons. She had no spears left. Yeah, I've I've actually used that that version of of the spoonie thing. Yeah, I've, I've I, I have often said I have no spears left. Yeah. Um. No. Honest for a moment. One of the things that I, I have to consider, looking at it from a story point, if you don't point your sword and then lower your sword. They don't know you're making that motion of choice. Whereas the point of the sword and then the lowering of the sword is, look, I, I could fight. I don't want to right now. Whereas if he just started walking towards her, he might have met pointy again. Yeah. Or like some, some other death moment because you have to make the intention clear of, I am not attacking. I am choosing to not attack. Yeah. And I would say just because she didn't have any spears on her doesn't mean she was unarmed. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. Um, oh yeah. yeah. I'm sure. No question to that. She was not pointless. Yeah. 
Yeah, this is it's going to be like that scene in in The Dark Knight where they they rifle through the Joker's clothes and just find like knife after knife after knife after knife after potato peeler after knife. Yeah. <laughs> Pencil or two. This one's carved from the femur of a non IO. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and and one thing I really liked was they really showed Aiel tactics well in this scene. Um, the way Jordan describes it in the book and the way she was fighting. And I, I could see some of the tactics happening there. Like there was the scene where she was holding two soldiers at, at spear point and looked over her shoulder and saw another soldier coming up from behind and, and, and just like growled like, Oh, what now? You know? <laughs> and I loved the thing she did next. She like, ran towards the two guys that she was holding at spear point and like, you know, ah, and as they like jumped back, she immediately turned around, ran at the guy coming at her from behind. And, you know, she's like, distract those two, go take out the guy who, who thinks that I don't know he's coming and then come back and deal with these two. And, and that's not the way that most fight scenes would have taken, would have handled that. They would have just been like, Oh, I'm cool. I'm going to take out you two with one blow and then turn around and get this other guy when he, when he gets here and kind of thing. And yeah, I don't know. It, it's, I could tell there's a difference between the stupid usual tactics they use in these kinds of shows and, and actually thinking about the fight in, in this one. If that makes, I don't know. I'm gushing too much. Maybe. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, no. Ag agreed. It, it's definitely unconventional and that just works to the advantage. Maybe I'm gushing because these are my people. It was it was incredibly effective, though. I mean, that is yeah. like I normally find fight scenes boring. This one was fantastic. So moving on, our opening scene, uh, we are in the ways, and they immediately stop to discuss Matt, which kind of gets glossed over real quick. Like, you know, what about Matt? Oh, what about him? He made his choice. We're we're moving on. He's uh, proved to be kind of sketch. Uh, so it's like, yeah, we don't need him. Yes, yeah, it looked like Moraine was a little bit relieved that Matt made that choice. A little, yeah. and that was one, one <laughs> yeah. less that she had to worry about. Yeah, yeah, I, I think she thought, well, if this, if he was the one who's going to turn out to be the dragon anyway, I wasn't going to let that happen. Yeah, like she pretty much makes she tells Ran, not Ran, she tells uh, Lon as much. Like, <laughs> well, if he is the dragon, I'm not letting him near. Uh, old dude. So, like, oh well. <laughs> we'll find out one way or another. One problem solved. She's still not sure about that, though. And I'm wondering if that's why she has Min, or not Min, uh, the princess send the message to the Reds that just in case Matt is the, the dragon reborn, it's the Reds that find him to take care of him. So as they're walking, Loyal starts talking about the way that things used to be in the ways, um, how they used to be green and lush and all of the islands had fruit trees and all of the pathways were, were covered in, 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 I don't know, four leaf clovers or something. It was, you know, it was a magical wonder pixie land. And now it sucks. <laughs> there are these little blue people living in mushrooms everywhere. I don't know. <laughs> this guy in a black robe that just keeps chasing them, swearing he can turn them into gold. It's just ridiculous. Yeah, I don't know. It was a Smurf. It was a Smurf Wonderland, and then it became the New Jersey Turnpike. Uh -huh. <laughs> More or less, yeah. Yeah. 
<laughs> I'm just waiting for Snooky Smurf. <laughs> <laughs> Why? Why would you oh. want that? Because <laughs> I like playing around with people's minds. <laughs> Gargamel becomes a DJ. Is that? Yeah. Yeah, pretty much. <laughs> totally ripped for no reason. So my notes here says Matt Lan makes a funny to ease Nin, uh, but I, I genuinely don't remember what that funny was because it was late last night that I was doing these notes. So apparently Lan made another joke. It's a dad joke. <laughs> yeah. And Siobhan checks her notes to make sure that she didn't write down the last joke also. <laughs> <laughs> Perrin spots the guiding up ahead before anybody else, so Lan and Loyal go up to check it out, and they find it that it's been defaced. And Rand questions Perrin about, how did you see that? Well, of course, I've got magical uh, wolf eyes now, buddy. There you go. Well, see, I'm half wolfish on my mother's side, so... (laughs) (laughs) It skips a generation. Rand, you know, says, oh, uh, if Loyal says it's going to take him a minute, then we're we're screwed. We're just going <laughs> to die in here. Yep. Lan takes him, says he thinks that there's something following them in the dark. Yeah, I, I'm pretty sure it's either Padden Fane or, or the Trollocs who later attack them. I, I think the Trollocs may have been smart enough to wait until they were asleep, maybe. I mean, it's psychological warfare either way. Like, I was thinking this, especially especially with poor Perrin throughout this episode and the ones, like, prior to it, where, you know, Perrin's just kind of like, you guys you guys don't see him? And they're like, no, what? No, are you okay? You're not okay, honey. Let's go eat some soup. And, like, it's definitely <laughs> on purpose. It's on purpose. Then they bed down for the night, and Nynaeve sees what she wants to between uh, Rand, Egwene, and Perrin. I saw that this time. I hadn't noticed it the first time around, but when Egwene and Rand cuddle up, Perrin looks at them, turns away, I assume to give them some privacy. and uh, Or maybe he's thinking about, you know, his wife. Yeah. And Nynaeve's watching. Well, that is Nynaeve's interpretation. (laughs) One of the things I did find interesting on the rewatch is like each one of them gets a turn to express their feelings about Matt staying behind. And so it's kind of like you get to see a little bit of each person's personality in their reaction. Rand is mad and yells at Moraine. Um, Egwene says, we will find him. Um, or no, sorry, Nynaeve is the one who says, we will find him afterwards. Egwene is immediately on Moraine's side. He left us. Um, Perrin is the practical one. He's like, we can't do anything about it. They're leaving. We have very few choices in this situation, so we've got to follow them. Lan is the one who says um, he's safer where he is. And Moraine is the one who says, we don't want him here. He's obviously got the darkness in it. And I just thought it was really interesting that you have all these people, each one of them, the very individualized response. It's kind of like a way of saying this is each of their perspectives and each of their relationships with Matt. Wow. You just blew my mind. That such an amazing observation. Go me. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) 
Nice job, Shabbat. As everybody's bedding down to sleep, we hear Fane whistling in the background. Uh, I'm starting to think that Pat and Fane and uh, Omar from The Wire are related. <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Pat and Fane coming. <laughs> exactly. Fane coming. <laughs> After we hear Fane whistling, we see Lan kind of watching over them as they sleep. And then we see Egwene and Rand kind of get up and look around. And we get no really clear view of what happened when Rand jumped up and and the Trolloc jumped at Egwene in this scene, I noticed. Because I know later we see, again, from Rand's point of view, it was clearly Rand who did it. But I noticed in this part of the scene, you you they they don't even show. They're still keeping it under their hats. I did notice Egwene is the first one to realize the Trolloc was there. Right. Yeah. She kind of wakes up and looks around. She's got, and this is the third time she's done it. She's got the early warning mm. Trolloc system. <laughs> she's, <laughs> she's listening to the wind. And the wind is saying bad things. <laughs> is she listening uh, to the wind or smelling the wind? The, the uh, Trolloc <laughs> sirens. You know, instead of tornado sirens, she has the Trolloc sirens. Right, yeah. I would also put forward, I don't think they're quiet. <laughs> they're, you can <laughs> smell them, too. I'm not denying that part, but you could probably hear them. Yeah, yeah. Sneaky no. Trolloc is probably still like... <laughs> bubble, 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 bubble. I Sneaky Trolloc. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> they have to announce it as part of, They think announcing it makes them sneaky. Me sneaky now. <laughs> like a sneak, 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 sneak. sneak, sneak. sneak. <laughs> so like when you play Vampire the Masquerade and you put your arms across your chest, it means you're invisible. <laughs> no, I, I get much more Eric the Viking vibes. I'm sure one of the Trollocs gave another guy a handkerchief that if he puts over his head, oh, but it makes you invisible, and then send him into combat. <laughs> Runs around thinking he's invisible. Uh, and uh, Gwen says afterwards, uh, I didn't mean to channel because she really didn't. And she doesn't realize that she didn't actually channel. And Loyal notes, uh, it's getting cold and that means we're going to die, folks. Um, that's when Nynaeve asks, uh, what, what exactly is this Machin Shin? And, and that's when Loyal pretty much says, uh, it, it's... It, it's your mother-in-law going to go show up and make you feel absolutely <laughs> worthless. Wow. <laughs> That's when Moraine says, well, we can get to the Faldara gate. It, it's much closer. It, 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 it'll put us out a day away from the eye of the world, but that's better than getting killed by Machin Shin. Uh, so they, they run to the Faldara gate and... So, wait, real quick, just to understand, you're not, I, I, this is the vibe I got, so that's why I'm checking in. I get the vibe that you're not necessarily killed by Machin Shin, but you basically will succumb to it and possibly unalive yourself. Um, yeah, more or less. Yeah, okay. Um, it, it, in the books, at one point, we do meet somebody who has experienced Machin Shin and and came out the other side as it were and and they're essentially just like hollow yeah. there's there's nothing there they they just kind of 
they're an invalid. They'd rule on themselves. They, you know, there's there's nothing there left to to actually communicate with. Well, damn, that's worse than I thought. I imagine for most people too, if you're dealing with these horrible drops on the side of the path, and this thing is blinding you, you're probably just gonna like fall off. End up falling. Yeah. 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 Falling or jumping, depending on how good the the conversation is. Yeah. 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 You've got, um, you've so, got an easy out handy, and that's unfortunate. But. So uh, Machin Shin catches up to them as they get to the way gate and and starts talking shit, and uh, that that's a really your mama. Yeah, that's it's a really bad thing to do to to Nynaeve and especially to Nynaeve's friends. You don't shit talk these people. Only I shit talk these people. <laughs> <laughs> That's my job. So I've talked before about how um, there's this whole thing about women channeling with their hands. Nynaeve channels with her entire body. Yeah. Like she's mm-hmm. arms spread, head back, chest out. She's like giving it everything. And she's using her whole body to do it. Yeah, I did notice that. And I think, I think at least part of it comes from her maybe not wanting to channel and so when she does channel it's like it has to be all or nothing you know like she absolutely claims you know her i guess the one power in terms of being a wisdom but actually channeling we don't see her do like that's that doesn't seem to be something she wants she doesn't like it but you know when it's do or die time, she does. And so necessarily it goes all the way to the other extreme where it's just kind of like, you know, full throttle, zero, <laughs> zero to a hundred. You know, this, this has to get done. This has to get out. I'm not doing this shit again. <laughs> so make it work. Make it count. Yeah. <laughs> so she has like two settings. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. But it also, the, the, the weave doesn't really exist in in Nynaeve's case. It's always just this kind of explosion of light or whatever. Stadium lights. As opposed to like a laser or a really, you know, precise pin light. Uh, Oh, plan of attack in in the chat has said, I I love the difference between Moraine and Nynaeve's channeling in this scene. And yeah, um, Yeah, like you were saying, you know, Nynaeve is just this, this, you know, going super cyan thing, and and Moraine is is just being very dance like and very deliberate, and yeah, it's very interesting. And one thing I did notice when Machinshin is talking to them, uh, the thing that Machinshin tells Perrin is he loves another more than his wife. Gives credence to Nynaeve's idea, but I'm still not buying it. I'm sorry, Perrin and Egwene, and no. You know, it's possible, but it's, I don't think it's Egwene. He's crushing on Moraine. It's okay. What I was thinking (laughs) actually was, I was like, oh, these are people or this is a wind or some of column A and column B who are not really thinking about the differences between like romantic and platonic love and also how your soulmate might not be the person you're in love with. Like, it's entirely possible he loved Layla, like, top to bottom, was in love with her. But if we're talking about, oh, you love another woman more than me, well, we can talk about what more means in this case. But 
he, you know, he grew up with Egwene. That's his sister from another mister. You know, like, maybe he does love Egwene more. And I don't like the use of the word more here. I don't. But just for argument's sake, more. But it's a completely different kind of love. But if you're not necessarily taught to understand, like, the differences or the nuances or, you know, what it means to, like, I guess, be close to another woman, but in a completely different way, then I guess that would be confusing and guilt-trippy and whatever. It's like when, like, my cousin's parents got married and my little cousin, she was, like, six, seven at the time. And she was like, Daddy loves Mommy more than me. And everybody was like, no, <laughs> it's a different kind of love, sweetheart, <laughs> you know? So that's, I mean, that's what was running through my mind at, at this point. That's a very good point, Samaria. Thank you. <laughs> uh, my my thought is, I don't. We don't know that Machinchin necessarily is knows what the hell it's talking about. It might be pulling that from, you know, parents' doubts, or it might be pulling that from Nynaeve's mind and and everybody else's mind because you know other people are thinking that even though it's not true or something. Or maybe he's starting to think it might be true because Nynaeve's putting the doubt in his mind or something. You know, I it. it just because it's said doesn't mean it's true, and I'm I'm going to find any way out of this bullshit that I can. I'm just I'm just assuming he's spinning it out of his own guilt. You did this on purpose. I think that what Siobhan said it's the thing how I especially with the amount of audio equipment I deal with on a daily basis, I look at it as much as Shin has access to the volume knobs, and that that voice in the back of your head that you try to ignore it just turns that up. Oh, and overpowers yeah. any other voice in your head. Turns down all the good voices, turns up the one that's... So they're not necessarily saying anything to you. They're giving your own doubts, your own voice, a stronger foothold in your mind. I like that. And the and the, the head weasel in the back of your head that's, that talks shit, it lies to you. Yup. Yeah. And the worst way, because it uses some truth to do it. Yeah. With Egwene, it was like you're an imposter. You're, you're, you're not as you're not as great as everybody thinks you are. Uh, you know, you're a fraud essentially. So it is that nagging voice in the back of the head that tells you that stuff. The thing that people go to therapy to shh, to quiet down. This one turns it up. Ding ding ding. So Machin Shin is an anti-therapist. Yes. Yes. Okay. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> or the they might be working for therapists and had. trying to get you to need their services. <laughs> oh, it's, it's a racket. I got pain, it. Not a nagging. <laughs> oh God, it's a men's right activist. <laughs> you come you come out of a way gate and there's, you know, like Lucy set up with a psychiatrist five cents uh, <laughs> booth set up. <laughs> I was thinking more like the airport, the interpreter services are just a line of them standing at the way. <laughs> <laughs> therapist, therapist, therapist. <laughs> the first three are taken. <laughs> uh, so they, the, Maureen is able to get the, the way gate open and they all come stumbling out and look just completely freaked out, which yeah. is understandable. I mean, you know, you were just in a weird hell dimension and and like you said your your inner voice got turned up to 80 
my inner voice is a, a pain in the ass to start with. I can't even imagine. Yeah, this one yeah. goes to 111. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I don't know why I said 80 there. That was totally a dumb thing to say. Uh, did I mention I was tired? 80 out of 100. <laughs> that's still pretty loud. Yeah, yeah, you got where you were going with it. I knew what you meant. Plan of Attack says, I wonder what it said to Loyal. But oh, that's the thing. good question. But, and this is where I think Loyal's voice, even if turned up, is probably like, Hi, Loyal. <laughs> Are you having a good day? Like, that's the worst voice in his head. It didn't affect Loyal because his inner voice couldn't get the point couldn't get to the point by the time they were right. <laughs> <They're laughs> only there for 30 seconds control. His inner voice to say, don't you think you're being a little hasty? <laughs> <laughs> it's, too, it's, too, it, it, it's, it's too logical. Like, it, yeah. <laughs> that doesn't it, sound it, quite true. <laughs> his inner voice would be like, well, this is a novel experience. You've never seen anything like this happen before. I, I feel like I feel like Loyal would have an amazing back and forth conversation <laughs> with that voice <laughs> and probably reach some new level of like awakened mind. <laughs> You're going to disappoint your mother and you will never speak at the great stump. Well, I don't believe that my mother is truly disappointed in me. She sometimes <laughs> maybe expresses a little bit of doubt with my, my reasoning, but that does not mean disappointment. Your mother hates you. Oh, my mother does not hate me. <laughs> that doesn't sound like her at all. <laughs> Machin Shin runs the other direction. After a while, Machin Shin's just like, I, I can't get a word in it. I'm, okay, I'm out. <laughs> So we move on to Faldara, which is uh, very large and impressive. Loyal asks how long it's been since Lan has been there, and Lan kind of just ignores him. Doesn't feel like uh, Lan is entirely excited to be back. And they all come into the main hall where Lord Egomar is a dick to Maureen. With a badass jacket. <laughs> <laughs> Love that jacket. I'm sorry. It, 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 is, it is a very nice jacket. It is. It is. It's very he's, early he's, Brian Eno. Yeah, I like it. Yeah, and he's a uh, very warm to Lan in in contrast to how rude he is to Moraine, whom he calls Daishan, which is uh, old tongue for Battle Lord. Have we not mentioned Uno yet? I was waiting for you to bring him up. Uno. It's Uno. We meet Uno right away. Come through the gate. There's Uno. Because of course there's Uno. He knew Lan was coming. <laughs> How did he know? He just knew. Yeah. It, 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 it's a warrior thing. <laughs> Got that Lan sense. Uh, so Moraine, uh, you know, gives gives uh, Engelmar some of his own shit back. Just like, I don't know what your, your deal is, but I've got other business going on and you can need to go take care of your way gates. Uh, get your shit in order. Um, and then we we get to see back outside and we see Fane exiting the gateway. Swagger walk that he's got going down the pathway. Just insane. Yep. Whistling swag. Out? Oh, wait. It, there's a way to get out and in without. He has one of those channeling, uh, right? leaf keys. Okay. And, okay. and they, they 
cut it out. Like there's a there's a production still, if I remember right, showing him using one. But yeah, if you look in the bonus material, the X-ray material, you can find it. There's a picture of him holding one of the leaf keys, which I don't know why they left that out of the episode, but whatever. In the chat, plan of attack. <laughs> and Jay. <laughs> Loyal makes machine uh, uh, Machin Shin feel better about itself. <laughs> and plan of attack response. Oh my God! Reassuring the Black Wind that they are all very scared of it, and it's doing a good job. <laughs> <laughs> that is hilarious. That is hilarious. <laughs> you are very scary. <laughs> oh, I, I am quaking in my boots. You are very good at your job. <laughs> Oh, that's funny. Oh, so uh, then we see um, Amalisa and Moraine walking down the hallway, and Amalisa's showing off that, ooh, look, I can channel a little bit too. Moraine's like, what, what is up with your brother? And she's like, don't ask me. He's boys. You know? <laughs> boys, go fig. And then uh, Amalisa tries to find out some dirt that's going on in the tower, and, and Moraine is like, yeah, you, you trained there once, but you don't get to get to be in on the tower dirt sorry um, and then turns around right after saying i am not going to give you any dirt and says hey can you send a message back to the reds by the way <laughs> can you keep some of our dirt secret <laughs> yeah yeah it's like you want some dirt here's the dirt that's that's the dirt i'll give you just make sure it moves on yes go find matt um any more thoughts about this scene before i move on it it, it it really shows how much Moraine does not trust Matt. Uh, not only is it that he's, you know, okay, we know he, she knows he's not the dragon, but she's she's ratting him out to the cops. It's like, okay, this guy is possibly very dangerous. Take care of him. Yeah. We've got a powerful Taviran who may be turning to the shadow. We need to keep an eye on this guy. Yeah. So our next scene where we see uh, our, our group moving through Baldara on the way to visit Min in her bar. Uh, and Perrin sees Fane passing by on the street. And he's like, hey, that did the rest of you notice the peddler? And they're all like, uh, yeah, Perrin, you're really starting to lose your, your marbles there, buddy. I know that, dude. First you think you're a wolf. Now you think you see the peddler. They all show up at the bar, um, and the bar gets hushed when they see Moraine come walking in because, you know, you don't see a fine lady show up at the punk watering hole very often. It just, kids get a table and they, they start talking. Rand is incredibly puzzled by the idea of veganism. <laughs> <laughs> no fish, even? That's okay. I make lamb. Oh, it's it. <laughs> one of my favorite movies. Nice callback. <laughs> I'll get the Windex. <laughs> and and I noticed that during this scene, uh, you've got uh, all the kids kind of sitting around, uh, Rand and, and Perrin and Egwene joking with each other, and you've got Nynaeve with her arms crossed, staring at Moraine, and saying, what's she up to? What's going on? <laughs> Do we ever see Nynaeve relax other than with Lan? No. Mm -mm. Nope. Yeah. 
she's just a little on edge all the time. So Moraine is over there talking with Min and gets readings of all of the, the folks there. They're both big and they both brood. Which that's one? one of my, yeah, that's one of my favorite big. lines. I like that. <laughs> the big brooding one. Well, yeah. That, that narrows it help. down. Not at all. We're talking yeah. about two rivers boys here. Come on. Yeah. <laughs> they're farm boys. They're all big and they're all broody. <laughs> the big guy with facial hair and glasses. Which one is it? Gregor David. Which one? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> In the readings, we see Perrin has yellow eyes and blood on his chin, which I think we, is pretty obvious at this point. We we all have an idea what that's about. He's a werewolf. She says the redhead is rocking a baby. She claims not to know whose baby it is um, when, when Maureen asks her about it. And uh, she says of the girls, there's a white flame and a ring of gold, but she doesn't say who has what. And I couldn't quite tell in, you know, the next few seconds. Yeah. yeah. So now we'd always assumed that that was Rand's future, like way in the future after everything was done and he settled down and, and had a, a baby. Now I'm wondering if she's seeing the vision that um, Ishamael shows to Rand in the final episode. I thought oh. the same thing. Yep. Yep, and not, mm, necessarily, not necessarily his future, but this uh, something that happens to him in the future. lie that that he's being shown. Interesting, very interesting thoughts. What do we think about the the white flame and the ring of gold? I know we had theories last time. Any any new thoughts on that? Well, I mean, it reminds me of angels, I guess. Actually, like very powerful, like ring of gold, typical Halo. But also, like white flame how angels appear like in both the old and new testaments a lot of the time mm-hmm. yeah so to humans anyway so be not afraid with the wings and the eyeballs and the rings you know, and the everything and the, yeah they can level you know a city in three seconds flat yeah no biggie i'm just thinking the ring of gold means one of them is going to end up as an ice die right and have the ice die mm-hmm. and the white flame being the weave well, given that the emerald and seat wears gold, I assumed that meant that one of them was going to eventually ascend to the seat. Well, I, I, I would, I would point out that all Aes Sedai wear gold rings. Yeah, yeah. I was going to say, you, I don't know if that refers to the jewels color or the actual metals color. Right. Um, what do we know about the white flame? We know that that is uh, the symbol of the Aes Sedai. Yeah, pretty sure there is like a like an eternal white flame in the tower. If I'm remembering correctly, I make I'm, I have false memories. No, no, no! You're on to something. We we just saw we just saw their we just saw their reaction. Well, the the white flame is the other half of that yin yang symbol. Yeah. yeah, we've we've got the dragon's fang, which is the black half pointing down, and then we've got the flame of Tarvalon, which is the white side with the point up. Mm-hmm. And those are the two halves of the ancient uh, symbol of the Aes Sedai. So with that knowledge in mind, does this reading say anything to you? Somebody's going to become an Aes Sedai? Or both? Both. One kicking and screaming, one willingly. It doesn't matter. (laughs) (laughs) And the white flame could also, you know, 
it it looks like channeling, possibly the way that Nynaeve does it. Oh, she just like with the light of the sun. Yeah, you know, it just kind of bursts. And will she ever learn to control it, or should she? You know, that's the. It, it it could come out instead of like little weaves. I mean, it could come out as earth shattering kaboom, an earth shattering kaboom. So she goes on to say that all four of them are linked, and that's unusual for her to see linked visions around people. She says that she sees sparks around all of them being consumed by darkness, but the darkness also getting chased away by the sparks. Um, Which sounds a lot like what. Nynaeve was doing in the ways with with the uh the Machin Shin. She says that they're all very clear visions and that the more important someone is to the pattern, the clearer the vision is. So clearly she's saying that all of these people are very important to the pattern because of how clear these visions are. That would be the whole Taviran. She probably thing. doesn't have uh the opportunity to take a vision on a Taviran very often. I yeah, have to right. imagine that Tavir is going to have a pretty clear vision every time, given the yeah. nature of Tavir. And then you get four of them together, and hey, it's a show. Moraine says, is any clearer than the others? I, I think here, hopeful, hopefully, the dragon would be the most important, and therefore the clearest. Uh, but Min says, no, they all, they all seem to be about the same. Um which I think is kind of a stealth uh, acceptance of the Voltron theory. Yes, sure, why not? Maureen says, uh, anything about me? And Min says, I see that the Amerlin seat will be your downfall. I see the Amerlin in full regalia, and she will be your downfall. And of course, she thinks of Suwan, but it doesn't have to be Suwan at all. Maureen herself could be the Amerlin seat for all this we know. This is true, this is true. People seem to be angling in that direction. I could see her thinking that that ending up in the seat would be her downfall. If uh, Leandrin ever actually makes her play for power, that could definitely be a problem for Moraine. And it could be the long game, too. Like, it doesn't have to happen anytime soon. It could be like, oh, in 50 years, by the way. Right. One thing I want to bring up about Min's viewings, it's very clear in the books that Min, if she understands it, she understands it. The symbolism doesn't necessarily, isn't necessarily one for one. It doesn't necessarily make sense. But if she understands what it means, she understands it. And it just, that's part of her power. She doesn't necessarily understand everything she sees, but everything she sees comes true. Mm. Even if somebody tries to avoid it coming true it still comes true it everything she sees comes true in one way or another uh not not in one way or another in exactly the way that she sees oh nah that's a curse <laughs> but rand with the baby as far as we know doesn't actually happen yet but it's clearly showing what uh what ishmael's showing him exactly so yeah it comes true uh but it did but, come true exactly as she saw it, him holding the baby. Yes. So I guess that was going to be my question, is what she sees necessarily something that happens literally, or can it be she sees something that takes place in a vision? Does she see something that takes place as a metaphor? 
Um, you know, sometimes it could be metaphor. I mean, you know, I would say that, you know, seeing a ring and a flame dancing around their heads is, is definitely more metaphoric than anything that's really going to happen in real life. But she still understands the meaning of those things. The point I want to get to here is I have a theory about Min's powers, which goes something like this. Min is able to view almost like kind of take a view from above and view the pattern and see a little see into the future and and see parts of the pattern in the future and i really think it works similar to the heisenberg uncertainty t principle where until she looks at you and sees that image of the pattern dancing around you it's still not locked in stone but once she sees it She's looked ahead in the pattern, and now that point is locked in stone. Mm-hmm. The observer, mm. does, the act of observing uh, changes the outcome. Change the outcome, yes. Yeah. But just huh? that portion of the pattern, like everything around it could change, which to the point of her possibly seeing Ishamael's vision, the fact that that was a vision and not reality, that part of it may not have been written. Just the part where he's holding a baby and rocking right. it. I like that. Maureen says we're all going to leave at sunup. Um, they ask who was the bartender, and Maureen says a girl I knew since she was young, which is true. As as we know, Maureen, it must be absolutely true. Um, and that's going to be well, something. Yeah, yeah. that's going to be something <laughs> that we'll, we'll bring up again. Yeah. yeah. She tells them, uh, look, she sees stuff, and I hoped she would see which one of you was the Dragon Reborn, so the rest of you wouldn't have to come along and could live, but she couldn't tell, so everybody's going to die now. Sorry. YOLO. Well, not everybody. One of them's going to survive. It's a surprise. If If they are the dragon, they will survive. Otherwise, ground. Nobody says the dragon has to survive the, the last battle. They will get by. As long as they know how to love, I know they'll stay alive. <laughs> Which is something they should have done to the Waygate. They should have changed that stupid lock. Should have thrown away the key. <laughs> <laughs> They've known for just one second he'd be back to bother me. Oh, Peyton, <laughs> so now go. go. <laughs> Walk out the door. Just turn around now. So you're not welcome anymore. Weren't you the one who tried, tried to, to break me with desire? You think I'd crumble? You think I'd lay down and die? Oh, now I. I will survive. <laughs> I got an eye to die. No. <laughs> God, I love that song. Great fucking song. Anyway. <clears throat> Plan of attack says that needs to be your uh, entry into Wad Idol 2024. <laughs> <laughs> I, I second that motion. <laughs> yes. I eighth, ninth, and tenth it. Okay. Uh, so, uh, Nynaeve, I've got to have to edit all of that bullshit. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, Only because so Nain- you can't tip your hand of what song you're doing next year, right? Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, that's it. Yeah, <laughs> yeah I'll go with that. Uh, Keep it quiet, chat. <laughs> so Naive says, uh, if if any of us go, it's going to be because of our own individual choice. We are not going just because you say that we need to. We're not your your lap dogs. 
Except maybe Perrin. Well. <laughs> Burn. He's kind of cuddly, so yeah. Well played. Well played. Yes. A little big for a lap dog, but hey. <laughs> loyal. Hey, he could be Loyal's lap dog. <laughs> oh my God. He could curl up on Loyal's oh. lap. <laughs> okay, now we need some fan art of this. <laughs> <laughs> need? It might be a strong word. No need. Need need is the word. Need is the proper word. Remember who you're talking to. <laughs> this we are so off the rails. Oh boy. This episode brought to you by Norfolk Southern. <laughs> oh no. <laughs> Ooh. Ow. Oh, too soon. Too soon. Too, too soon. soon. Too soon. Egwene, of course, says, uh, I'm going to go because it's the right thing to do, and I always do the right thing. Perrin says, you know, well, what if it was Matt? If if it was Matt, we're all going to die for nothing. At which point, Egwene scoffs, like, oh, yeah, it was Matt. And uh, Rand, being the good friend that he is, I mean, he's like, hey, that's the guy I share a brain cell with. You watch what you say about him. <laughs> <laughs> your husband-in-law be nice <laughs> <laughs> Perrin defends Egwene and and Nynaeve accuses them of uh, accuses Rand and Perrin of, of fighting over her and uh, Egwene looks shocked by this idea Rand is taken aback Perrin is just pissed I don't see Perrin as pissed about anything other than Rand took a swipe at, at Egwene and you know, you, you don't talk to my little sister like that. Mm-hmm. And, and Rand kind of like, oh, oh, yeah, yeah, that must be why you're a dick, Perrin, because you want my girlfriend. <laughs> and uh, Perrin, oh, man, that scene right there, uh, he has been very quiet for the entire season so far, just very quiet. But he came across loud and clear when he said, the only woman I have ever loved is my wife. Like, you could tell he was a half a centimeter away from pounding Rand into into a mud hole. Mm-hmm. That one hurt. Yeah. Yeah. One of the things that, that I clicked on uh, watching this scene the second time, like I said this first time around like they've just been through an incredibly traumatic experience that they haven't processed yet they're faced with the fact that they might not survive tomorrow it also just clicked for the first time they're also having this conversation without matt in the room and matt is very much as we have seen throughout the trip the one who kind of stabilizes everybody and is the one who takes care of people He's not there doing his job, and so they're all flying off in all directions because they don't have the 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 one who comforts them when they're upset. They don't have the mom friend. They don't have, they don't the, have the mom friend, and so they're processing without him. Yeah, because Matt is always the one who who provides that emotional support, like you saw it when they were on the road, and he starts them all singing. Yeah, you sometimes don't know which of the friend is like the center until that friend is gone. So Moraine and, and Lan are, are off on their own and Moraine is being nostalgic and she says she's 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 being kind of morose herself and she's telling Lan she's taken everything from him 
And, and his response is, no, you've taken nothing from me. Before I had you, I had nothing to live for and nothing to die for, and you have given me both. Which is exactly the kind of thing you expect a badass warrior to say. Yep. Also, like, I know it's not this episode, but, like, considering what she does and how it ends up, like, blocking their bond. Yeah. Like, mm, in hindsight, the whole, I've taken everything from you. I'm like, eh. yeah, Not quite yet. Yeah. <laughs> not, not There's more that could be taken. She follows up this conversation by saying, I like the wisdom. And so my interpretation of that was she saw the budding relationship between Lan and Nynaeve, and she's regretting the fact that she may end up taking them all off and getting them killed. They won't have a chance to really explore that relationship. She's also telling Lan that, you know, I'm going to do this on my own, and you have a life after this, so that's, that's take how I, it. That's how I got it, too. Like, oh, by the way, you don't notice I'm about to die, so here's my blessing. A blessing to go be in love with her, or a blessing to go be her warder, or... Yes, like just all of the above. All of the above. Yeah. I think I think Moraine had the idea in her head of going into the eye of the world without Lan. I don't know that she'd actually come to a final decision before Ran showed up at her door, but I think mm. she at the very least floated the idea. Well, you have to imagine that she's feeling all of those thoughts that Lan had back at the White Tower when, yeah. when Stefan died. You know, mm. she she does understand, because it's a two-way bond, what Lan's feeling about losing her. And as you said, uh, Maureen gave, gave Lan her blessing with Nynaeve, and then tells Lan to go off and see his people. Um, you, you, you don't come home nearly often enough, and now that you're home, you need to go see your people. And he's like, uh, okay, I guess. <laughs> Twist my arm to go spend time with my niece. I wonder if that was on yeah. purpose, like that she knew the best time to drop the bond would be when he's spending time with his yeah he's distracted found, <laughs> found family because he's a little bit distracted. It would be it would be too much for him to just drop everything and leave them in that dinner when she drops the bond. Except she doesn't drop the bond till much later. It, it's not until almost the next morning that she drops the bond. Oh. I, I think it was more a, we may be going to die tomorrow. Go make peace with your family. Go say your goodbyes. Yeah, that's what I got to. Can I say that whole interaction with Lan in that house was the most smiling he does in the entire yeah. season? <laughs> yeah, he actually shows emotion. Starting when he realizes that uh, Nynaeve is tracking him. And you get this big giant grin on his face. <laughs> <laughs> when he finally invites her in, she she gets that same kind of grin on her face. And and I think this is where we finally see their walls kind of really crumble. And and I think a lot of it was Moraine giving her okay. He had feelings, but he wasn't going to act on them without Moraine's okay because he he's that dedicated to their mission. Well, I think to a certain extent, it's part of her life too, right? Because with the bond there, if you're getting into a relationship with somebody else, that has to vastly affect the other person in the bond. Talk about a bizarre love triangle. Our musical episode is brought to you by. <laughs> <laughs> After dinner, they walk back to Lan's room where Lan has zero game. 
<laughs> this is true. So in Lynn's defense, he's watched Nynaeve say, I'm not doing anything until I decide to do it for months now. He's <laughs> just being true. chivalrous is what you're saying. So he's, he's like, if not- I make the first move, her spikes will go up. And if I let her think it's her idea, then everything will and, be fine. And we've seen what she can do. Yeah. <laughs> Um, and I think another thing that comes into play here, which they haven't talked about, but the culture in Shinar is very much the woman makes all the moves and all the plays and decides when you're in a relationship and when you're not. And the man is just kind of a passive player in all of this. That That is just the way that Shinar and culture works. So, yeah, he. I think he is, due to the fact that he's back home, he's very much in standard Shinaran mode. Which makes me wonder about the the relationship status of the leader. Of Egomar? Yeah, of Egomar, because he is very forward. He's very, you know, barrel-chested out, and, urgh, alpha male. Yeah, if, if he's waiting for a woman to make the first move, he's going to be waiting quite a while. Quite a while. Yeah. yeah. I don't know. Somebody may be into that. Who knows? Who knows? Then we're we're in the archer yard, and Rand is distracted. We can tell this because his shots are all going wide. I mean, he's still shooting better than I would ever shoot, but he for Rand, if you know Rand at anything not, at all. Not very accurate. Yeah, not accurate yeah. at all. Especially at that range. And Egwene shows up, and I, I, I have to say, I really enjoyed the way they used that, his archery, to show how off-kilter he is. Yeah. I thought that was just brilliant. You know, the show don't tell exactly. idea of mm-hmm. cinema, yeah. Because once he'd made his decision, his shots are dead definite on. bullseye. Dead on. Yeah. Yep. yeah. Um, and Egwene shows up, and they end up apologizing. They realize, yeah, we, we both just needed to blow off a lot of trauma from the last two months more or less and and i'm sorry i'm sorry and and uh they kiss and make up and she says she will always stand by him no matter what happens which i think is a very fateful statement considering we still have 14 books of material to go through <laughs> I love the fact that they actually show Rand's tears for this mm-hmm. because that's not a typical Hollywood treatment of, you know, your big all-powerful male hero. Well, they haven't they haven't revealed it yet. No, but still he's like supposed to be this macho guy and they show him having an emotional moment where he has actual tears. Well, that seems to be common with all of the, the men from Three Rivers. Yes, they all and I, have I appreciate that. <laughs> two Rivers, sorry. I was thinking of the stadium in Pittsburgh for some reason. Uh, <laughs> I was going to say, I don't know why, y'all, why you guys always want to add an extra river, but it's, it's kind of funny at this point. Yeah, it, it, <laughs> it's Pittsburgh, what can I say? Uh, <laughs> but yeah, they... Uh, they all, yes, they all have that emotion all, on the surface. They wear their hearts on their sleeves. You know, mm-hmm. it's kind of, kind of the way things are back home. And it's nice to see. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, you don't have a big 
hero who the only liquid that ever comes from them is, you know, sweat and occasional blood. The other thing about that scene that really stuck with me is there's a point where he says to Egwene, you have to go to the White Tower. You have to study to be an Aes Sedai. It's what you've always wanted. And I did. Um, now that I've seen the final episode, I know that that's the exact opposite of what Ishmael offers him. Mm-hmm. It, and so it's just kind of an, uh, I thought it was really interesting that that doesn't come from Egwene. It comes from Rand. He's the one saying, you have to do this thing and follow your dreams. And I think mm-hmm. that's like a little bit of an extra lever for Rand in rejecting what Ishmael offers him because the sentiment came from him in the first place. Right. He doesn't actually have that sentiment. He doesn't actually want that for her. And that's the thing that really helps him to resist. I think I think there's something about saying things out loud, even if you know it to be true. You articulate it and it's almost like it engages extra parts of your brain so it becomes more true. Mm-hmm. And yeah. that's what he does in that scene. And it helps him fight back when he's given this offer of, you know, everything he he's ever wanted. Right. And, and I love in that scene how they, they try to come up with one last desperate play. You know, she's, I'm, I'm going to go become a nice to die and, and you can come and be my warder. And, and they cling on to this dream that, yes, I can, I can also come and be your warder. And, and it, it, it it has a, a, a an air of desperation to me, you know, that we, we, fig- we figured out a way to make it work, but it's not going to work. He, he knows. He knows. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> she knows, too. But, like, in this moment, they're like, we, we, we just need something to cling to. Yeah. Something, you know, to get us through the next a week or so, and then we'll figure something else out. <laughs> get through um, that last episode. Yeah. Uh, so then we switch back over to uh, Lan and and Nynaeve, who comes barging into Lan's chambers. You know, consent is apparently not a huge thing with Nynaeve. She does. She does ask once she barges in whether she he wants her to leave or not, which you know is kind of the opposite of how consent works. But we'll 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 let that go for now. She's doing her best. <laughs> she is doing her best. <laughs> During this scene, Lan kind of tells Nynaeve his origin story about how he was secreted out of Malkir as it was being taken under by the shadow, how his entire family was killed, um, how he was raised in Shinar, you know, a, a, a prince without a, a, a king, really, without a kingdom. It parallels Nynaeve's story. Yeah. Lost her parents at a young age, was taken... To be a wisdom who is, you know, one of the highest ranking um, individuals in Two Rivers. In a place that isn't hers, yeah. In a place that isn't hers, yeah. And Nynaeve says that she she understands his bond to Moraine now. It, it She understands it. It makes sense now that she's heard his whole story. They decide it's business time, and they get, get down to business. But we get more lyrics, and, and I want to give you the translation of the lyrics in this scene. The warmth of your touch, a raging sun is born from our love. Aw. Mm-hmm. That's promising. Yeah. 
And and I like that they used a raging sun in that lyric after yeah, the the, the whole thing with Loghain, like yeah. brighter than the sun. Yeah, right. Then we uh, we go over to Rand and and Aggy, who also apparently decided it was business time. It, it was business time all over Faldara. Yep. Post business time, I guess uh, Rand finally was able to clear his mind. You know. Um, Sometimes you just gotta peel a layer off the onion and it, and it helps clear your mind. You know what I'm saying? He and C. Yeah. <laughs> so uh he he's having all these dragon dreams. Uh he he remembers Tam's fever dreams while he was trying to take him back to Emmons Field, talking about him being born on the mountain. So he he gets up and he goes to the training yard and focuses and clusters his shots. As his mind is cleared, he goes to see Min. And uh, he asks her, am I the dragon? They end up sitting down, and she tells him a long story. She says it was the first vision that she ever had. She was a young girl. She was living in Tarvalon, and a man in armor carrying that same sword that you have. And when I looked at him, I saw snow and blood, and I saw a baby born on the slopes of Dragon Mount. That pretty much sums it up right there. That is Rand. The Heron Blade? And we notice that her ability started the first time she saw Rand. That was her first vision ever. So definitely incredibly important event that just... Yeah. Right. Is that him waking up a dormant ability in her? Is that his Tavarinness already just throwing thing throwing abilities out higgledy piggledy when he's a, a child what what's what do we think is happening there and did she have that vision at the same time was it concurrent with it actually happening no because she said she saw oh because yeah, she just she's saw older than, she's older than rand yeah so she could have seen it as it was happening i i don't think it was as it was happening because she said she saw she saw tam walking through tarvalon and then she saw all of that around him. So she already knows. Oh, so it was before Rand was even born now that I think about it. Okay. She didn't say she saw him carrying a baby. She said she saw him with the sword and then saw the baby's birth around him. So I think that Rand was just so important to the pattern that seeing seeing Tam just... If, like she always had the power, but that was what kind of switched it on because it that, hit her so that, that hard. just kind of drew it out yeah, of her. Yeah, yeah. It just kind of ex- yeah. exploded um, power into the world, right? Because the the um, old lady in Tarvalon gets her vision based on this kind of as well, and mm-hmm. it just it seems like there's a lot of things that related to the dragon coming back into the world that just started happening. Because the dragon came to the world as part of the weave. Yeah, it just kicked off a lot of events. Yeah. There's a line that Min says to him, um, I think, when he asks her what happens afterwards, and she says, rainbows and carnivals and three beautiful women. And it's tossed off yeah. as a joke, but I am going to watch. <laughs> Rand is going to end up at some town festival somewhere, and he's going to get hit on. And then I'm gonna, this, I don't believe that anything that comes out of her mouth is really a joke. <laughs> no. You just covered my next point in my notes, so we'll move on. <laughs> 
Um, so then we get the next morning, and uh, we get Eggy and Nin both doing the Walk of Shame. <laughs> I don't know. They look pretty. They look more smug than anything. Eggy <laughs> <laughs> shows up at Nin's apartments, and, and Nin isn't there yet. And then uh, Nin walks in, and they kind of talk for a minute, and both look kind of like hee hee hee. <laughs> it's, it's Rand and Lan that are doing the walk of shame. We just don't get to see it. <laughs> <laughs> so Nynaeve po- apologizes to Egwene and, you know, they, they hug and make up. Apparently everybody just really needed to get their, their dirt out so that they could all feel better. <laughs> Unclog the pipes, so to speak. That, that, that wasn't what I was talking about, but yeah, that, that works as the, <laughs> that yes. Also, uh, also sure. very much so. Well, I mean, pipe could mean anything. We know what you mean. (laughs) Perrin shows up, and uh, he's still got clogged pipes, unfortunately. Yeah, well, that's his own damn fault. I can't believe I just said that. (laughs) Season two, brought to you by Viagra. (laughs) That's something I don't think these guys... They all decide after Perrin gets there that they're going to the eye. They're they're all like, you know, even though we're probably going to die, it's the right thing. And, you know, like Egwene said, even if there's a a sliver of a chance that this is the right thing to do, we have to do it. They all try to figure out where Rand is. And and Perrin says, I thought he was with you. And, And they were all like, well, we thought he was with you. And suddenly nobody knows where he's at. And we find out that he's off with Moraine telling her, hey, I'm the dragon. I just figured it out. Let's go so my friends don't have to die. And uh, that's the same time that Lan shows up and says, uh, Moraine, mask the bond. I can't feel her anymore. And that's when they they put two and two together and figure out that Rand and Moraine have taken off and heading into the Blight. And that's the end of our episode. And we get to see them approach the Blight. Yeah. I really liked the blight. I I do too, honestly. I, I I like the way they designed the blight because it looks very otherworldly. It looks it looks it definitely looks like somewhere you would not want to go. Right. It's and, natural but built at the same time. Yeah. Yeah. And like and instead of instead of this like lush forest, it is just a vast network of just Vines, and tangles, and briars, and looks like an yeah. apple orchid. Orchard, orchard, orchard. Orchard. Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> you tell I read a lot as a kid. Yeah. <laughs> In the middle of winter, that's what it looks like. But like oh, times yeah. ten. Yeah. Yeah, vineyards kind of do that thing too, where you just uh, you don't have the vines, you just have the the base stalks, and they're all bent over and and gnarly like that. Mm-hmm. Gnarly is the right word for the blade. What it's I really gnarly. like best about it is how out of place it looks, and so, like you, it obviously, quite obviously, does not belong in this desert environment. And so you look at it and right. you're like, "Oh, wait." <laughs> <laughs> it's like the edge of a biome, but yeah. it's you know, it from everything is dead to. This could be alive, but looks dead. I don't know. But like if I saw it's a great that, effect. 
in the two rivers, I would still be like, ooh, don't touch, but also it would make sense there. But here, it's both like repelling and also mm-hmm. inviting. Because I want like I want to touch it, but also I know I shouldn't. Like a poison dart frog. <laughs> poison dart frogs are a lot cuter than this though. Yeah. Yeah. Just yeah, with with both of them just don't lick them and you'll, you'll probably be okay. <laughs> don't lick the blight. <laughs> Good advice to live by. <laughs> that that's the sign. Somebody needs to digitally put that sign in as they enter. <laughs> Please do not lick the blight. Please do not yeah. lick the blight. <laughs> or 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 just the stick figure like a and the line. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and with that, I think we can put a pin in this one. So we want to say thank you, as always, to Michael and Jen out of the Secret Watch Party Island headquarters. Thank you, Michael and Jen. Thank, thank you, Michael, you, Michael and Jen. Jen. And uh, thanks to our audience in chat today. We've got Plan of Attack and Jay joining us from from our Discord group. Thank you, guys. Yeah, yeah. thank you. Yeah, thanks for joining us. It's always a blast to have you here. And uh, if if anybody else wants to uh, watch us as we record, we put uh, links to that in our Discord. So come join our Discord. You can find a link to that at whatwatchparty.com, as well as links to everything else, including Mailbag, our Twitter, our Instagram, our 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 place on 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 Apple Podcasts, um, maybe our home addresses. I don't know what all, <laughs> but there's a lot of I'm stuff. Sure, there. it's all findable online. With all that being said, final question coming to us again from uh, Jay in the chat. Music in season two. What uh, music would you like to hear? What would you like to hear about? What bit of lore would you like to see explored through music? So I have an answer to this because um, one of the things I'm really looking forward to in season two is finding out more about the Aiel. And I want to see some of their music i want to see uh their stories about the breaking according to their belief system and their history and i'm hoping that they can uh mix up the instrumentation a little bit like they have a different if you live in a place that's all desert you're probably not making your instruments out of wood so you're not necessarily going to have guitars and things like that let's see what their culture came up with in terms of music for their sitting around the campfire. <laughs> Wash the spears while the sun climbs high. Wash the spears while the sun falls low. Wash the spears, who dares to die? Wash the spears, no one I know. I think we just Done. got a preview. <laughs> <laughs> nice. Well, I'm impressed. <laughs> <laughs> so I want to hear the the Jane Farstrider version of uh, the Disney Davy Crockett theme. <laughs> <laughs> Jane Jane Farstrider, <laughs> King of the Wild Frontier. I can dig it. Yeah, I want to hear Tom sing a song about the steading. Ooh. Ooh. That would be nice. Something from the Ogier that was taught to Tom, again, making that connection of the different cultures he's been involved with and, and wants to share the information. I would love to hear 
like loyal loyal just kind of like sing me the one that you used to sing when you came to town oh that's <laughs> nice yeah do you, do you have a, a half a day <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> to listen to tom sing yes, yes. <laughs> No, for the second verse. <laughs> because a season-ending cliffhanger has not had me in a chill cold like this since Avatar introduced Azula at the end of <laughs> one. Like, it's got to be something involving our seafaring invaders wiping out children Ooh. on beaches. Like, I, I, need to, I need to know. Give it to me in music. Make it good, please. Sea shanty. Love a good sea shanty. <laughs> oh, we don't like children. No, we don't. <laughs> <laughs> I'd, l- I'd love to hear what the, what the, the Trollocs uh, s- sing when they're sitting around a fire. You know, just sort of this grunting death metal kind of thing. That'd be fun. We fi- find out that all the Islas have these operatic voices. <laughs> oh, that's sick. Brings tears. To, that's why they don't have eyes. They teared away their eyes. <laughs> they can hit the brown note. Oh. <laughs> oh, no. okay, if anybody else Charles. has an answer that has to be edited into before that, <laughs> that needs to be the fade out. The, the choir of fade singing a brown exactly. note. Exactly. <laughs> The brown out. <laughs> <laughs>